Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to, yes, yet another coronavirus episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United We Cast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, you can hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me, well, we hope to have an announcement on that coming up soon. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear just me talking about what I exclusively feel are the most important or interesting topics in the sports world, primarily, but not exclusively, involving in the NBA. And that is here. All right, there are three topics that I want to get to in this episode. One is... Not being in the bubble, uh, the choice that I made of not being in the bubble while the NBA Finals are now going on and what that feels like. I also want to get to Doc Rivers being hired by the Philadelphia 76ers and the story behind that that is not being told and why. And finally, athletes, particularly NBA players, becoming part of the media but pretending they're not and not playing by the rules. All right, so for the last week, I have been feeling really funky and not quite clear as to why, but I realized that it's a little bit like an athlete who is has retired and is or injured and is not playing at a time when his body clock says he should be. And that's for me with the the playoffs in general and the NBA Finals in particular. This is the first time in some 25 years or better that I have not attended the Finals. And it feels strange. I I feel as if I'm supposed to be doing something and obviously I'm not. Now, I made the, the decision not to go into the bubble. I had an opportunity at one point And I made the executive decision that because of my TV duties, it was going to be too difficult to do both and that I owed FS1 uh, my first choice. So that meant not going into the bubble. And then I subsequently heard about the access to the athletes. Essentially, there is none. Uh, They're in a completely different part of the amusement park. The only time you're going to interact with them 
are at the games and access for those of you who may not know has become king and the opportunity to have conversations not in the scrums not with all the media the NBA has really uh, progressed or migrated toward the whole approach that they've long had over in Europe where they have the mixed zones uh, for every sport uh, I think they do it for the Olympics as well where they bring the athletes out into a room they're positioned in various places in the room and then the media flood in and you can go to whichever athlete but your opportunity to have a one-on-one conversation as you might in a locker room and even then it's difficult because of the number of media around and media kind of hawking other media once upon a time you could find a way to have a conversation and there's still ways to do it but you have to be at the games and Generally, you're not doing it in the locker room. You're finding other other places and ways to do it. Any case, none of that, from what I understand, is going on in the bubble. If you are getting that, you're getting it by phone. I've been able to talk to players in the bubble or text them via phone. So I didn't feel, at least for the good part, better part of the playoffs, that I was missing anything. But I'll be honest, now it really is just about the games and being there. And I hate being at the mercy of the cameras and, to be honest, other reporters. Because the career that I've had is largely, and I learned this very early on with a couple of instances where I, everybody was looking one direction and I had reason to look the other way and landed upon a number of stories as a result of that. One going way back when Don Nelson game right before the All-Star break. Don Nelson was not there. There was some question about why he wasn't there. His son Donnie was coaching the team. And uh, the play was going on at the far end. Tim Hardaway came back to the bench. And I was looking for signs. I thought that we're going into the All-Star break and that ownership, Chris Cohan was about to fire Don Nelson. And I was looking for some kind of indication that that was going to happen. Everybody else was kind of just covering the game. And so when Hardaway came back to the bench, I kind of glanced. There was free throws being shot at the other end. So everybody's looking one way and I follow Hardaway back to the bench. And this is back when, as reporters, we would sit at the scorer's table. So we were right there. And Tim uh, comes back to the bench, and Donnie says, you know, nice job, and listen, keep it up, you know, even if we're not here. And I could see Tim kind of stopped and looked at him and was like, what? And that was it. That's what I needed. That was the tip-off for me. Now, kind of tried, tried to explore it. Tim kind of, without saying it directly, gave me the indication that that I was accurate. Uh, Donnie played it off, and so, but I had enough. I knew where it was going, and I was able to break a story as a result of that. Another instance where I was with the Washington Post, and uh, there was a foul call that was given to Calvert Cheney, and it was obviously Chris Weber had had committed the foul. Jim Borgia, excuse me, Joe Borgia 
was the referee. And when Borgia gave Cal the foul, he looked at him like, dude, I wasn't within five feet of him. He was the next closest player. Well, C. Webb had five fouls. And it was a practice at that time in the NBA that you tried not to foul out the stars. So if you had an opportunity to give the foul to another guy, that's what you did. Now, this is before replay and slow-mo. And I mean, obviously there was uh, instant replay, but it wasn't used by the league and they didn't use it as prolifically as we see now. Not everything was being scrutinized. There weren't as many camera angles, etc. I saw Borgia explain to Cal why he was giving him the foul. C-Web had five. So Cal kind of understood it. But it was still an extraordinary thing. I, I, I don't know that I'd ever seen a referee outright explain it that way. And it just happened to, ha- again, at the scorer's table, took place right in front of me. And I don't know if anybody else was clued into it, but I was. And I ended up writing about it. And so uh, it ended up being a fairly, fairly big story. Uh, in any case, that's what I miss about not being in the bubble at the NBA Finals. Because I saw a couple things in Game 3 that I found very interesting. LeBron James at one point was sitting on an exercise ball. And, and then at another point, he sat down and he was given a hot pack and he put it on the back of the chair to, to sit back against. Now, as someone who has had back issues, I know what those two things are. You sit on an exercise ball because it keeps your back from cramping up, forces you to use your, your abs. Same thing with the hot pack. It's a minor thing, but when I saw those things, like I would have liked to have had somebody at least mention it or dig into it a little bit. Uh, LeBron has had back issues at various times. He was turning the ball over. Wasn't certainly wasn't moving around on defense like I'm used to uh, seeing at times when he wants to. So I just found it found it interesting. And he and he there was a couple of plays where he kind of staggered and lost his balance. Something that happens when when your back is tightening up. And I, look, I'm the last one to make alibis for for LeBron and how he plays, but. I was really curious. And that was one of those things, if I was in the bubble, one of the stories that I was pursued. And by the way, that reminds me of one other uh, topic that I want to hit in this podcast, and that's Isaiah Thomas getting hip resurfacing and saying that he's better than ever and is eager to come back and play. As someone who knows a whole lot about the procedure that he's had, I can tell you exactly how he's feeling and exactly what he went through and the likelihood that he plays again in the NBA. But in any event, I'm not in the bubble. I miss it. Uh, And so I am with the rest of you having to rely on uh, the reports out of the bubble. And this is the other part that kind of troubles me is... I know that 
by and large, it's broadcast partners that are giving people the greatest impression of what's going on with the league. And as it says, they're partners. It's not going to be the same kind of reporting. And I've been in those shoes. I understand it. I've done it. You can learn a lot. You realize that you're a partner with the teams that you're covering. You don't cover everything. And as I said, access is king. Which brings me to the next subject, and that's Doc Rivers being hired by the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, by the timeline, you would think, wow, extraordinary. Doc agrees with Steve Ballmer to mutually end their relationship with the Los Angeles Clippers. Not that much of a surprise. I knew something had to change. I thought maybe they would, and had dinner and magically just found that they really wanted to work together. And they thought this was going to work. Forced Doc to change up his coaching staff. I still expect that they're going to make some significant personnel changes. But the fact that they decided to move on from Doc does not surprise me that much. Nor does it surprise me that he had a job waiting for him. And trust me, he had a job waiting for him. As someone who has an agent, someone who knows the business and how agents work with players and coaches, etc., Doc's agent was aware of the possibility of him, one, being out with the Clippers, and two, the opportunity to go to the 76ers. I say all this just because if you think that it was just extraordinary bit of timing and luck and the deal that they put together came together when Doc flew to Philadelphia and they sat down... There's also a chance that unicorns really do exist and there are aliens living in other galaxies watching us this very second, perhaps even listening to this podcast. Just not likely. Same goes for Doc and the timing of going to the Sixers. He knew he was leaving the Clippers. He had his agent find out if he was a fit, if the Sixers would be interested. They were... If you look at Doc's age and the mixed success that he has had and the other candidates that are out there, Doc and his agent are very smart. His marketability isn't going to be any bigger than it is right now. For as much disappointment as Clippers fans might have and as mixed as his record may look in having lost not one, not two, but three series being up 3-1. The fact of the matter is, you look at all the other candidates and his win-loss record and what the Sixers and owner Josh Harris really feel they need, which is someone who is going to connect with their stars and carry their respect. One... You have to have a ring. Doc's got that from his Boston Celtics days. And two, has the kind of personality that guys like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are going to appreciate. I don't know that they know that Doc played in the league or that that's going to carry any weight with him. 
but he has been such a social justice warrior that that will carry weight. Even though you haven't heard a whole lot about Ben and Joel being outspoken on that front, I get the sense that with the younger players in particular, that that carries a lot of weight. And so uh, that's certainly something that Doc could have sold to Josh Harris. And make no mistake, ownership here is really making the call. I've been told that Elton Brand is frustrated by how limited his authority has become. How well will Doc do in Philadelphia? I don't really know. And I guess I should know, but so much of it is going to depend on his coaching staff. I know Doc is a great spokesman. I know he knows the game. He understands it. He can communicate with players. Looking at the Clippers' offense this year, I was very underwhelmed. And defensively, while they looked formidable at times, they couldn't summon it at the right times, meaning in in the bubble when it mattered the most. So how much is Doc a motivator? At one point, I would have said he's a great motivator. Now I'm not so sure. And maybe being burnt by thinking that the Clippers were going to win it all this year, uh, maybe that's that's coloring my uh, my attitude at this point. But I can't help but feel that Doc winning a championship in Boston is what really became his signature note and has provided him the opportunity to coach a lot of talented teams as a result. And when I look at that coaching staff and you have a Tom Thibodeau as your uh, lead assistant and defensive mastermind and a very demanding coach whose personality works perfectly with yours in terms of a good cop, bad cop. And then you have a Kevin Garnett in the locker room who is also going to make sure that everybody is on point. And you have some proud veterans like Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and a young brainiac in Rajon Rondo. Boy, the deck is stacked in favor or was stacked in favor of Doc. And the chances of putting together that kind of personnel and that kind of coaching staff in Philadelphia is not very high. So certainly you have to have somebody who orchestrates everything. And Doc did that in Boston and he did it fairly well in LA. I always felt that his Coach of the Year award in Orlando for going 41-41 and 41 was one of those, and I've seen this happen with the media before, where a team is better than it's projected to be by the majority of the media. And as a result, looking at the names, the decision is, oh, well, they must have been coached up. No. Sometimes the talent is better than you thought or the circumstances allow a team to go 500 and maybe that's what they were talent wise it's just we hadn't discovered the talent that was on it and I suppose I could go back at that roster and demonstrate why but the fact of the matter is it's 41 and 41 and I've never considered coaching a team that is mediocre 
or subpar and making it mediocre is an extraordinary coaching feat compared to, and this may sound a little strange, coaching talent to a championship level or best record in the conference level. That takes in the NBA, not college. College players are beholden to the coach. They essentially, they have to listen because you're their ticket to the next level. So they have to, they have to pay attention. They have to show a certain amount of a discipline and respect. The NBA, play, you have to prove to the players that you know what you're talking about. You have to demonstrate that you can make them better because they're generally locked in with their money and their contracts and their position with the team, especially the stars. They know what the deal is. You're going first if things don't work out. So you need to prove to them why they should listen to you. Now, because Doc has a ring and because Doc has worked with a number of great players and had at least more success than Ben and Joel have had, he's going to get the benefit of the doubt. But trust me, that only lasts to the point where you say or do something where they suddenly realize, oh, that, that doesn't work or I don't believe that's going to work or it doesn't work, and now what do you have? And that's essentially why the Clippers' move was the prudent one, because Doc demonstrated that his way did not work, and the players are not going to look at themselves in this case and say, yeah, you know what, we, we didn't get it done. It's just the belief is Doc didn't give us the plan. Doc didn't give us the approach. And it's not necessarily like Kawhi looking at it, but he'll look and say, well, why wasn't somebody calling Montrez? Why wasn't somebody checking up on Montrez to see if he was in shape? Because that was a huge loss for the Clippers in not having a Montrez Harrell uh, in shape during the shutdown and then getting into shape while he was attending to his grandmother's funeral. You can do both and teams do it all the time when they have somebody who is suspect they make sure somebody's keeping tabs on them there's a way to get it done that clearly was not done with the clippers or not well enough to get montrez in the kind of shape that they needed him in for a championship run ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. By now, you've probably seen the story, Isaiah Thomas, the 5'9 point guard slash shooting guard who made his name with the Boston Celtics, bounced around the league, Sacramento, Phoenix, is declaring that he's ready to come back and contribute after having a hip resurfacing procedure because 
he was bone on bone in his one hip. I forget which one it is, but had a hip injury in Boston, played with it. Ultimately, that has left him on the outside looking in. Largely because if you're five foot nine and you lose the explosiveness from a hip injury, it's a tough sledding. And that was the position that he was in. I had no idea that he was bone on bone. I thought it was a soft tissue issue with his hip. But I've had the resurfacing in both of my hips at this point. Essentially for the same thing. I wore out my cartilage. Now, I, rather than doing a hip replacement, I did the hip resurfacing. Because it's a little bit less invasive with the hip replacement They actually cut off the knob of the bone on your femur and run a rod into the bone. And then there's a plastic ball that sits in a cup that uh, replaces or replicates the ball joint or ball socket mechanism. The resurfacing, they put a titanium cap on the ball And then that sits in another uh, titanium cup. And the way it's milled and with the natural viscous fluid that your body creates replicates the the same thing. And I can tell you, you know, I, I hoop with my kids. I surf. The immediate thing that you have is it, you get rid of the pain, the pain that you don't realize has become chronic the pain that does limit your mobility and uh, agility and flexibility and all of that. And so I'm more limber now than I was five, 10 years, maybe not 10 years ago. Yeah, maybe 10 years ago. And I've, Jason Kidd, Chris Mullen, Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban might not have had the resurfacing, but a couple, I know a number of former NBA players who had it subsequent to me uh, because I recommended getting it done because they were having issues. And same thing. Jason Kidd was like, I think I could come back and play. Now, he was 44, 45, and it was more of a joke, but that's how good it makes you feel. Isaiah Thomas is 31, and I'm a bit older than that, so... I my I'm not thinking of hooping. I'm not thinking about playing soccer again. I love to surf. That's the extent of it. Some of that is probably, no doubt, my age. But even at 31, uh, from what I understand, I mean, what they have to do with your leg and the amount of muscle and tendon that they have to open up in order to place the titanium in there is pretty extensive. And it's still not determined that certainly running on the resurfacing as opposed to the full hip replacement is is recommended. And they've been doing these, I guess, for about 20 years now. So they're still gathering information, but I know there's plenty of people who've had it done and they run or they've run marathons, whatnot. 
but the but the torque and the pounding that playing in the NBA would require. I assure you, nobody has tested the resurfacing to that degree. Isaiah Thomas would be the first. And again, combination of the 5'9", the age, seeing him with the Wizards, it's a tough climb back. I know how badly he wants to play. I, I appreciate that. I understand it. There's also a matter of when you're away from the game for a while, your body really starts to feel good. I've seen this with countless guys. I think Amari Stoudemire, Allen Houston. You can go back through the years. feel really good. But then when you get back to the NBA, it's practicing, it's pounding, it's, and you got to have to be available. You can't take a day off when things don't feel right, especially if you're in one of those complementary roles. You may not play every day. But you need to be available. You need to practice because you're, in many cases, you're fodder for the other guys to get better. Can't be taking days off. And so I wish Isaiah Thomas luck. But when I first heard that he'd had the resurfacing, my reaction was, oh, I didn't know it was that bad. Because you only get that done as sort of a last resort to just... You want to be able to function and move around and be comfortable and be able to sleep at night. That was a big thing is couldn't get comfortable uh, just to, to sleep. He's going to have that. Is he going to have a hip that is capable of dealing with playing in the NBA? I'll believe it when I see it. All right. So last topic of the podcast is inspired by a couple events. Uh, Kevin Durant on a podcast talking about the difficulty of winning a championship in the bubble and his support or involvement in the selection of Steve Nash and Steve Nash's authority as the head coach of the Nets, along with Kyrie Irving on the same podcast, or at least similar. It seems as if these guys have done a number of them. Kyrie also talking uh, on a podcast with KD about who would take the last shot uh, between the two of them and again was the one who initiated the conversation about Steve Nash and how he's the coach. Well, they don't really look at him as the coach. And then subsequently, uh, Kyrie, because of his comments about the last shot, who would take the last shot, saying KD is first teammate that he ever felt comfortable conceding that honor to was taken as shade thrown as LeBron. This is something we talked about on FS1 a number of times. I honestly don't believe the conversation started with Kyrie purposely taking or throwing shade at LeBron. It was a matter of telling us how he sees himself and how he regards KD. And in the FS1 conversation, I gave plenty of examples of why what Kyrie is saying as far as clutch, as far as who you would want to take the last shot, is supported by the view in the league that, yes, LeBron is a tremendous player. LeBron is the reason, uh, a big reason, why Kyrie had the opportunity to win a ring in Cleveland. But is LeBron a clutch scorer? Is he the guy who I want taking a last shot? If I have the option of 
KD or Kyrie? Probably not in most instances. Some of it is matchup, but LeBron has demonstrated that he can make those shots. He's also demonstrated that he doesn't always want to take those shots. KD and Kyrie are going to fight you to take that shot. They feel it's an insult if you would give that shot to anybody else. LeBron simply doesn't feel that way. And I know there's plenty of people, Tristan Thompson being one who was on FS1 with me, saying LeBron always makes the right play. As if, like, being, I don't know, this, this, this high school idea, this collegiate idea of I pass the ball to the open guy, that's the right play. No, not in the NBA. The NBA is too good. They're forcing you to the ball to a guy in a particular situation. They're leaving him open. They're allowing the ball to go in that direction in most cases because that's who they want shooting it because all of their study and preparation says that's the lowest percentage or that's the guy who hasn't demonstrated that he's up to the moment. Getting the ball out of LeBron's hands is what they want in most cases. And LeBron concedes that all too often. Kyrie is not going to concede that. KD is not going to concede that. And we won't get into Steph because he's a unique superstar where totally wants to take the shot, will always take the shot. But he made room for KD because he recognized the guy, like Kyrie said, that can knock down those shots because of KD's length and ability to shoot uh, is a good option and is because of his attitude. That's such a big part of this. In any case, if you look at, and I cited the GM surveys in terms of who GMs in the league would want taking the last shot with the game on the line. KD was first four times. LeBron has never been first. Two out of the last three years, I found this surprising because I think Kyrie's star has dimmed a bit, but two of the last three years, he was ranked higher on that list among GMs than LeBron. LeBron has never had more than 17% of the vote among GMs. It's just not how he's seen. He has become increasingly confident in taking shots. He's expanded his repertoire. He's a better clutch shooter now than he's ever been I will give you that but he still takes off balance threes as well as he's shooting the three now it's actually extraordinary that he shoots it as well as he does because he still shoots it tilted drifting I mean it's it is a testament to his athleticism and the time that he's put into it but being on balance and having fundamentals that's what comes through in the clutch. That's what comes through under pressure. That's why Jordan was so good. That's why Kobe was so good. That's why Ray Allen was good. I mean, you look at the shooters. I can give you the shooters. Peja Stajakovic is the first one that comes to mind. Guys who would wilt a little bit. Great shooters almost all the time. And then you put them in a clutch situation. And somehow they just never could deliver. And if you look at their form... There's something there. There's a wrinkle there that pressure, there's too much thought. A little bit of a freeze. It throws things. It's just enough to throw things off. I don't know if that's basic philosophy, but it's, it's mine. It's my theory. Uh, 
as to why some of these great shooters go awry. Lou Williams in the in the postseason, another another example. So, in any case, uh, the problem that I have is not with Kyrie uh, suggesting that LeBron James is not a clutch shooter. That far from it. My problem is twofold. One, that KD and Kyrie talk about the media as if it is a separate thing. Fellas, you have production companies. You do podcasts. You create content. You are the media. And because you are putting things out through a medium, you are a media. You are the media. And there are certain rules to being the media, which is you are supposed to come correct. Now, one of the elements is citing your sources. And I don't mean revealing your sources when you're reporting things. I mean when you take content that is clearly someone else's. You need to cite it. You need to acknowledge it. And there's been two cases, recent cases. KD quoted J. Cole. People were confused by it. They thought he was throwing shade at somebody in the bubble or the players that were playing in the bubble. And then it was, no, he was quoting a J. Cole line. Okay, it was a specific J. Cole line. There was, uh, as Emmanuel Acho said on FS1 uh, on the show with me, look, there was a thousand words in J. Cole's song that uh, the KD listened to, obviously, and he chose a specific 12. There was a reason he spoke to pick those 12. There was a message therein. He wasn't just quoting a J. Cole line. We don't know exactly what the message was. We don't even know. I mean, I assume, I have to assume, it was a line from J. Cole that he knew, KD knew he was stealing it. Acknowledge it. Now, look, no doubt KD and J. Cole are cool, but the fact of the matter is that's J. Cole's work. Acknowledge J. Cole wrote it. Don't steal it. LeBron did the same thing just uh, on this past Saturday. Quoted a 21 Savage song, Slide In, and didn't acknowledge it. And I, I can tell you, my colleagues on FS1 saw the quote that LeBron put out. They thought he'd come up with it. They didn't know it was from the latest 21 Savage cut. And they're probably more in tune with 21 Savage than I am. But nonetheless, it was it's Morgan Freeman uh, narrating a little section about uh, wisdom and a sharp mind being a double-edged sword. I mean, it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's a good line. It's a, it's a clever play on words. LeBron just wrote it like it was his. The reason it came up is because he, he was all about focus and all that. And then the next day, he's tweeting all about the Browns game before the, the Lakers play the Heat. And he goes out and has eight turnovers. And I'm, I just, you can't make it up. I mean, I, look, LeBron does this repeatedly to himself where he wants to be taken seriously and he wants to be looked at as having a certain level of intelligence. And then he just does dumb stuff. 
like just undisciplined dumb stuff like i'm gonna quote this 21 savage thing about being focused and all of that and then 24 hours later you're tweeting about the browns game hours before you have to go out and play game three of the nba finals but you're all locked in and you're telling your teammates hey don't lose focus it's just ah it's what frustrates me because at the bottom line lebron lebron is a unmitigated success story and has done tremendous things and i think for the most part is a really good guy but to elevate him to the level that some people want to you have to be smarter than he is you have to be more disciplined it's rare air up there not saying he hasn't accomplished a lot i'm just saying he undercuts himself with some silly stuff and for those of you who want to defend him to the hilt and want to say that he's above and beyond criticism because of all the other things that he's done no if we're talking about goat if we're talking about greatest of all time and and that's not even part of the equation for me simply one of the all-time greats and acknowledge him for what he does on and off the court and again i've said this before my view of him is colored by i know more than most people do about history and various things that have happened behind the scenes and i don't i think he's outgrown those things i don't think that's who he is but i still don't think he gets very good advice and I think he rubs people the wrong way. I do believe that part of the NBA's failing ratings, their falling ratings, is because LeBron James is a polarizing figure that for all he's accomplished and all the good that he's done, he just turns people off. And the the why and the where and the how is, I suppose, something we can talk about in a future podcast because that does it for this episode of buker friendless <sighs> subsidiary of buker and friends and part of the united WeCast network please rate and review the show on itunes or wherever you get it our advertisers love it our sponsors love it and we love the feedback to know how we're doing what you'd like to see us do better what you'd like to hear me talk about and so that's how we get it done that's how you and i communicate is through those ratings and reviews also obviously through twitter and instagram please let us know how we're doing those of you who had truly appreciate the feedback by the way don't want to forget our primary sponsor mizzen and maine i want to say that it's sportswear but it's not it's actually men's dresswear primarily dress shirts but they make it out of performance wear and what you end up with is the most comfortable dress shirt that you are ever going to wear i wear them on tv regularly i also wear one of their blazers on a regular basis machine washable uh, wrinkle resistant moisture wicking so that if you have any sweat issues does not show and you don't have to be making all those trips to the dry cleaners please check them out mizzenandmain.com tell them that i sent you and 
they will take care of you in some way. All of our guests on Bucher and Friends receive gifts from Mizzen and Maine for appearing. Uh, I guarantee you, just get one of them and you're going to end up turning over your entire wardrobe to Mizzen and Maine gear. I promise you. Check it out. All right, that does it. In the meantime, I'm not going to tell you guys what to do out there. I'm not going to tell you to wear masks. I'm not going to tell you... (laughs) I'm not going to tell you to vote. You're getting that from enough other places. I trust my listeners to do the right thing, which includes checking in for the next episode. We'll see where we are in the NBA Finals. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll do it again. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.